Well, hey there, Film Files. What's happening? It's Tuesday night. It's 9 p.m. And uh, we're going to talk about movies for the next hour. I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Stuart Randolph. I'm Ben Snowden. And this is Movie Show Theater. In a world where movies are everywhere, these heroes will make sense of some of the world's strongest films. Jimmy, Ben, and Stuart. This is Movie Show Theater. So uh, we're about two weeks away from our little midnight matinee event on Saturday, June thirteenth at the at the wah, wah. at the Apollo sound effects preluding. And uh, yeah, so you can uh, find tickets at movieshowtheater.com/events if you want to go. I'm not suggesting that you go. I'm merely saying if you would like to, it would be cool. It would be cool, we would and they're like available. You a lot more. They're available. Indeed. They're very accessible. Yes. There's also a bar in Peoria. It's personally one of my favorite bars called Blue. Um, at 619 West Main, it's right by Mr. G's. They also have tickets available. Not Mr. G's. Blue. I won't devalue Mr. G's No, no, of course not. Dark. No, no, of course not, no. So that's all. It's June 13th. Yep. Saturday uh, starts at 620. We're going to be doing Night of the Living Dead, and then we're going to be doing uh, Westworld. From Yay. 1973. Not to be confused with Waterworld. Uh, yeah, but now I'm kind of having second thoughts because <laughs> I might be... I know there's a handful of people that really did like that movie. I really like that movie. What? Waterworld? Waterworld. Oh, no, I like Waterworld. I um, liked it. No, I, I did. I, I mean, the studio I mean, the studio's probably not a big fan no, because they, they lost all the money. They lost so money. much money on that. But no, I like that one. Yeah, we can talk about that some other time, though. Yeah. So anyway... uh. This week was my choice, and we chose a film called The Big Lebowski. Never heard of it. You haven't? Well, I no. hope you watched it. This movie is kind of a recommendation from my brother-in-law, Matt Werman, who mm. uh, originally, when we did our, our Kickstarter campaign for our podcast, um, anybody that gave $100 or more got to have a uh, movie of their choice every month that we would uh, review, and he wanted us to do a Coen Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. And so... I really like The Big Lebowski. More than The Big Lebowski, I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan. Um, and the Coen Brothers comedy is like a whole other world because they're a very multifaceted uh, couple of directors. I mean, you can look at the movie from a very superficial point, and it's it's a funny film. I'm not any other Coen Brothers movie, but Big Lebowski specifically. No, yeah. Um, and it's kind of within the last eight years gotten this kind of cult it's got a following. Cult, definitely has a cult following. Has, and Jeff yeah, Bridges himself cool. would say that he is dumbfounded by the amount of people who walk up to him and just are like, dude. And it's become a religion. Dudeism. And it's own Dudeism, I know, right? Own, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's festival, yeah. too, where people have their, you know, Donnie and Walter and dude outfits, and they just show up and watch this film and have a festival. And it's, I'd, I'd like to go at least once in my life just to see what it's about. Because I really didn't do a whole lot of research on it, but now that I know it exists, oh, yeah. why not? Well, Landmark did one when they had their uh, Peoria Theater still, and I went oh, to yeah. one, and they had three showings, and all three uh, 
sold out within hours. It was kind of a catastrophe because they ran out of creamer, the liquid creamer. And so... No white Russians for you. Right, right, right. <laughs> so people were going to the bowling alley bar and they were ordering like white Russians, four or five like, white Russians right. and they're pulling out like single serving like oh, creamers. Oh, creamers. That, yeah, no, yeah. You, so you got to prepare work. for that. So I should probably mention too that uh, you're listening to 90.7 WAZU. That's probably a pretty important thing. You can, you can uh, get a hold of us through that uh, Facebook page, the 90.7 WAZU Facebook page, or the Movie Show Theater Facebook page. If you'd like to, you can hear our other episodes at MovieShowTheater.com. I think they're pretty good, and I think they're pretty fun. Um, some are more fun than others. Agreed. And and also, the main reason I picked The Big Lebowski is because it has narration, and I know Stu doesn't like it. Well, no, it was alright. When, when you have Sam Elliott doing it, I mean, right? That's, yeah, that's no, that difference. was alright. No, that that this is a comedic element that that was added. This is not something that's truly forwarding any story at this point. This is right, not exactly. even adding information. You this wouldn't is really just, need the narration. No, to be you honest. wouldn't need it. You would totally understand the story if you the narration wasn't in, even there. But Sam Elliott, I mean, he's he has I mean, the voice. He and Morgan Freeman, if you were to add their voices to just about anything, it, it's like butter. Mm-hmm. So no, I it mean, really is yeah, like I mean, yeah, you could he, get either of those brilliant. guys to you know read the nutritional content of frozen Brussels sprouts, and it would be absolute magic. Oh, jeez, yes. And it, I think it adds mm-hmm. too because obviously he had uh, he being Sam Elliott has this really gruff voice when you have that narration over you know the tumbleweed blowing through these different absolutely angles locations it definitely adds to the whole vibe of the film it does something different such a great way to start i ain't never been to london and i never been to france and i certainly ain't never seen no queen in her damn undies Like uh, essentially, the whole like you're you're totally right. The narration is useless, and it really, is. at the very end of the movie, nothing has really been accomplished. I mean, there's been like a fun little story. A guy dies, and they end up going bowling. And it, that's what it boils down to. That's what this story is all about. And the guy doesn't even die as a result of anything. He just – it's a heart attack. Yeah. I mean he could He's have had pacifist. the heart attack. He is a pacifist. <laughs> he, could have, he could have had the heart attack while he was bowling for goodness sake. I mean – uh, I mean, Poor it was Donnie. just a series of ridiculous events. It's so tragic, Donnie's tale. All he wants is to be a part of the crew. Like, Obviously. I mean, yeah. He wants I to mean, be let in on the conversation, and then every time he tries to be a part of the conversation, he's told he's out of his element by Walter. Well, okay. <laughs> there's a lot of this movie that seems to be an inside joke with the Coen brothers, and the more of these Coen brothers films you see, the more you're kind of, like, led on to it. Like, at the end of Miller's Crossing... Steve Buscemi is a dead body, and then at the end of Fargo, he's you just see his leg in the wood chipper. Spoiler alert! And then at the end of Big Lebowski, he's just yeah, a can of he's ash. Just, yeah, it just seems to me he's their whipping post at this oh, point. Yeah. I mean, and every shirt that he wears, his his actual name is never on. Any no, of the shirts. absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. So, I I don't you know. <laughs> All right, let's get – all right, since we're – we never do these things in any sort of order, but the nihilists. Beyond oh, yeah, The nihilists yeah, yeah. crack me up. Nothing. They absolutely crack me up, and I'm sitting there, and we're watching this with my kids, and and 
I know, bad parent that I am. Well, they hear, they hear that. Blah, 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 blah. Whatever, okay. They've heard the F word. Oh, of course they have. Uh, yeah. They've yeah. seen Sorry, full frontal nudity. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, they have. I mean, uh, okay. There is they're not, in this movie. They're teenagers, yeah. okay? But it's not, a, the, the but, nudity in this movie is not excessive. No, of course not. No, 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 no. The funniest thing that I found in this whole thing I think was the fact that the, the the nihilists were just so ridiculous. They were just ludicrous beyond all imagination. They were in like a craft work knockoff band called Autobahn. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> I love I want... that that fake album cover is just to die for it because it's you know you have Flea, so obviously. I mean Flea oh, yeah. from Red Hot Chili Peppers and, see, and a world class bassist. That's where I'm going. It, it, see, I'm I'm looking at I'm I'm watching the nihilist and Flea jumps forward and says something ridiculous and I'm like Spencer. Who is that? And you know, and he's like, I have no idea. And I said, Do you know the Spencer. Red Hot Chili Peppers? And he was like, well, Of course I know the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I said, That's Flea. And he went, oh, No. And I was like, Yes, absolutely, that is Flea. And that's it, way Flea. It is at his most totally flea. flea. At his most flea. Yeah. And, and honestly, I don't think he's done any other movies to speak of necessarily. Well, Back to the Future Part Two. He was in that. Yeah, he was uh, the guy that convinced uh, Marty McFly to uh, run the card in, in Part Two. Was he really? Yeah, right before Needles. Did he play? Yeah, he was Needles. He played Needles. I'm gonna have to watch that again. For yeah, a it was flea one reference. of the it was one, yeah. of the, one of the video phone lines. Oh wow! And it was something about Michael J. Fox, like. Uh, Needles was trying to get him to run something, like run a card through to process some sort of transaction. And then the Asian boss comes over and he goes, You fired! Well, that was more Arnold. That was not a very good impression. But... <laughs> that really was more Arnold. <laughs> but there's like, a, there's like a fax that comes through yeah. and then an email that like prints out. and. Okay. All right. I'll, t- I'll take your word for it. I, I didn't know he had such a uh, well-known acting past. Well, I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll have fear, to bring up IMDb, but I'm pretty sure that's a... in Las Vegas. Well, yeah, I no knew that, way. too. Yeah, he was in that. Yeah, I knew that. He was one of the musicians in that. Oh, there it is. He was also in Back to the Future 3. Oh, you got... Yeah, he plays Needles. Douglas J. Needles. I'm so going to have to go back and watch those for Flea. Just for Flea, though. He was in Less Than Zero, too. Oh, that's a depressing one. Oh, that yeah. brings us back to the '90s episode. Oh, yeah, that's so. Just I wouldn't so say dark. that he's a particularly like phenomenal actor, but no, it no. seems like when he's pulled into movies, it's probably like he's buddies with the director. Oh, know? more than likely. Oh, geez, yeah. Well, he's not Let's an actor; flea. he's a musician. I mean, right, he's a right, bassist, right, right. So, and, and a and a writer and everything else. I mean, he's great. I believe he plays he a trumpet, but it's it's those those off the wall characters or I should say the colorful characters like the nihilists that really make this movie what it is obviously you have a dude but what is a dude without Donnie and Walter you know and the, the bowling without team Woody, Donnie and Walter is just a, a slacker stoner who yeah. just kind of sits around all day I mean the fact that he actually leaves his house to go bowling with these two borderline rednecks I mean let's be honest Walter is a redneck Walter is just so angry. He's angry at the world. Well, in, in today's so, terms, we might call him like a neoconservative or something because he has pretty dead set ways. And when he starts talking about something like, oh, like, Nam, 
he gets really worked up. He finds ways to insert Dom into things that aren't even about that. Like uh, when they're drinking coffee, he and the dude in this little diner, mm -hmm. he talks about, you know, all his buddies he saw dying face down in the sand. But it's just like this lady just wants you to keep your voice down. <laughs> so what does that have to do with Dom? Also might be that he might be suffering from a little PTSD. PTSD. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean he, he's, he's, yeah. he's altogether unapologetic, but oh, I yeah. guess... I guess he's based on legendary screenwriter John Milius, who was like a right wing gun nut and an advocate for all things military. That sounds like that sounds like Walter. Yeah, if, <laughs> if, 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 if even the shooting Google range image, glasses. Yeah, yeah, the shooting. I mean, he wears them everywhere. I mean, seriously. I mean, who wears the? I mean, they're not blue blockers that he's wearing. Those are gun range glasses. Yeah, so. and I mean, we all know some variation of a Walter. Of course, we do. And and yeah. I like I mentioned before, I really love the Coen Brothers, but especially for their development of characters. And there is so much effort, and there's so much thought put into these characters and how much you can not necessarily relate to them, but just get an idea of who they are, even if they just have, like, a minute of screen time, you know, from, like, oh, brother to raising Arizona to, I mean, even burn after reading. I mean, oh, geez, it, that is I, such a that's such a weird, disturbing film. Yeah, though. I mean, and that's not one of my favorites, but no. after it's over, you're like, yeah, I could write a thesis paper on, like, who Brad Pitt is supposed to be portraying. Oh, truly, They do yeah. such a good job of, like, background you know like my, yeah. michael mann is um he's a director who did like heat and collateral and uh a couple other movies but when he was doing uh collateral he drove tom cruise to all these different farmhouses in the country in minnesota and he was explaining to him like this is where you grew up you uh were abandoned by your father when you were younger and that's when you learned these self-defense techniques and then, like, drove him into the inner city and was like – and then you were adopted by – I mean, it's just so incredibly in-depth that, you know, not every it's actor – It's a little creepy. It is a little creepy. Daniel Day-Lewis would be the like, Coen oh, Brothers, yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis okay. would have embraced that one, yeah. And and Tom Cruise, for that matter. Tom Cruise is a little – He gets well, into anyway, it. Yeah. Whether you hate, love him or hate him, you can – you can say for certain sure that There's he gets There's certain movies. I mean, he definitely phones it in for some. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, I love it. So I've watched this movie um, before we decided to do this episode. I had seen right. this movie probably ten times. Um, and I've always thought it was interesting, but it's funny when you look at it from the cult status and it's like, okay, what what is it about this movie that makes it so – uh, acceptable as a cult film, like across the board. Jeff Bridges. Well, yeah, I it's think it's Jeff Bridges. Yeah, it is absolutely his portrayal of the dude that makes this a cult film. As much as I love John Goodman and Steve Buscemi, I'm sorry, it is Jeff Bridges that yeah. absolutely makes this film, and and quite frankly, um, his portrayal of this character is absolutely so. It, it, it is like a non-character. Mm -hmm. It is it is a non-character. It is Jeff Bridges at home being himself the entire film. He is one of those people who you – I mean, obviously he's a waste of space in a lot of ways. He was a roadie for Metallica, man. Uh, yeah. In, obviously probably, in their, a, probably in their heyday too because – He's a waste of, of space in a lot of ways, all right? I mean <laughs> – and but there are so many things about him that would draw you in and make him interesting. You'd want to hang out with this guy. You'd yeah. want to just be around him because something is going to happen. You don't know what, you don't know when, but something is going to happen. 
and I think that's the draw for the Walter and the Theodore, the Donnie character. I, I mean, seriously, Walter and Donnie are are just his hangarons. As yeah. much as as much as Walter wants to be controlling of the situation, Walter is is such a peripheral character compared to the dude. Yeah, and and there, I mean, you wouldn't have a story. You, I mean. If it was anybody else playing the dude, you would not have a movie that anyone would care anything about. Oh, yeah. Well, and if Walter was cast poorly, it would not work. Well, I mean, think about, obviously. too, I mean, who else could, in an opening scene of a film, uh, get their head shoved in a toilet and nonchalantly just, you know, lean onto a wall and put sunglasses on and have it work? It's the truth. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Do I, do I look like he, I'm I married? Mean, I know, right? I mean, he just got it. I mean, that was such a nasty scene, too, when they he first came into his apartment and the dude walks in and these two muscle heads are there and they, they're they asking him for money. And he's Where's like, the money, Lebowski? What? Uh, uh, I don't have any. I, I mean, he had no clue. It's in there somewhere. Says, Let me get another yeah. <laughs> Like, the way he delivers the lines is just sublime because, I mean, it would with probably any other actor delivering it in a different way be a scene where you have some kind of tension. But with the way he's talking, it's just like, this guy doesn't even feel like these other guys are a threat and he's getting his head stuffed in a toilet. And, and he's, he's, he's been, the it's fact just like, that he doesn't he, even, he knows he doesn't have money. So he's just like, uh, yeah, you're looking for the wrong Lebowski, man. The fact that he sits up and it's like just sitting on the toilet, just explaining to them, like, I'm not that guy. I'm the dude. You his, know? Mo- his mantra is take it easy. Yeah, truly. And, and I don't know. I honestly can't think of another film that I've had more fun researching on with, like, little symbolism and, and little nuances and little Easter eggs, you know. Like, um, so he's got a lot of money. Uh, Lebowski does. Like, the dude has Jeffrey. a lot of money. Jeffrey the dude has a lot of money. And supposedly he was, in, he was the heir to the Rubik's Cube fortune. And that's where he got his money, and it was a scene that was written that they later cut because it just um, was distracting to the story. So the dude actually is wealthy? Yeah, he's rich. I think that would have – if they kept that in, I think that would have tainted the whole purpose of the and film. It would have, yeah, because Which, the he, the other Lebowski, the big Lebowski, quote-unquote, you know, it would have been a moot point at that time. I mean, why why bother with that character if he's actually wealthy? Yeah, well, he wants, so all the dude get, wants is his rug, so I think if he actually had material wealth, he might say, well, I guess he could go buy another rug. So if you give him wealth, it takes away from the fact that he – the dude's being thrown into all of these – strange out there situations and he just keeps on asking for his rug when he probably could get monetary wealth from the situation which again yeah it 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 it, it asks the question then why is he living the way he's living if he's got all this monetary wealth somewhere i mean is it a philosophical thing does he just believe that he should you know walk the earth like Came like from yeah. Count Kung Fu. I mean, seriously. I mean, I, I, if he had made a statement like that, or if he had, he had, you know, I mean, obviously he's kind of living that way. I mean, he, you know, he wears pajamas the entire film. Yeah. I mean, they're <laughs> well, and like whether he's rich or poor, he's got these scruples that are established early on in the film, and so I, I like the fact that they left that out. And and when they meet the Jeffrey Lebowski. Yeah, the big Lebowski, right? Pete, okay, so I had never looked at I guess I'll jump right into this here. Uh, this was the first time that I had watched this movie from a film noir status. Right. 
And I had heard people mention, like, oh, this movie is kind of a throwback to film noir. And I had, hadn't gotten it because I hadn't seen this movie in a couple of years. Right. So I'm, I'm watching it again, and I'm, like, starting to put this together that, like, it's got the good daughter. It's got the femme fatale. You know, uh, Jeffrey Lebowski is a throwback to uh, The Big Heat. And there was a character in The Big uh, Heat that okay. was uh, an old an old grumpy wheelchair right, man. Right, 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 yeah. He hired a detective to find his missing son. And, um, you know, uh, The Big Heat, The Big Sleep, The Big Hit. Uh, the original Big Hit, not the weird one from the 90s. Yeah, I'm not aware of them. Uh, Either of them, unfortunately, or um, fortunately. I but, don't know, but, but that's okay. Oh Yeah, that's okay. So yeah. uh, Murder, My Sweet and The Maltese Falcon are the most directly related films to The Big Lebowski. Right. There's a scene in The Maltese Falcon where the main character is uh, has a uh, drinks a drink that is spiked, and he has like kind of a nightmare uh, sequence that's very similar to the dude's. And sometimes things like this are coincidental, and it's like, yeah, it's left to the imagination. Maybe that's what they were thinking, but I've watched this movie enough, and I can kind of put together, like, yeah, no. Considering the director and considering the writing, and this was this was most likely not coincidental, and this was... The interesting in thing about the, I mean, the that kind of trippy scene is that you would expect Lebowski to have that kind of a trip. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he would need to get drugged by somebody else to have that trip. You would expect him to fall asleep one night and just pff, have that trip, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, granted, there's some really weird things that involve his particular situation in that particular hallucination, if you will. But, again, it's it's you would expect him to go that way. Mm-hmm. I mean— I, I really like the fact that he—the uh, the scene where he gets—he uh, pencils up and the bowling ball rolls over on top of him. Uh, he gets portrayed as the bowling ball a lot, as if if we want to get on like a philosophical stoner level, like he is the bowling ball, and he gets thrown into these situations where he's he's he doesn't really have any point of reference, and he is kind of like bumbling, but he he does serve a purpose. And in this sequence, he gets thrown, and you can see when the camera rolls over that Maud is the one who threw it. But he hasn't met Maud yet, so that's kind of interesting. That is true. Yeah. I thought he had by that point met her, though. No, that was before the sequence where he where he met Maud. The first dream sequence that he had, where uh, there was the one where he was in the spike drink, where he took the spike yeah. drink at Jackie Treehorns. At that point, he had met Maud. Yeah. But there was one before, and it's when. Uh, he went home after uh, Walter pulled the gun. Okay. And they go in the car. Right. And uh, Walter has his great line, calm when you are. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he goes back to his house, and he's listening on his on his Walkman. Right, Which right. is awesome. Laying on oh, the rug, yeah. he's listening on his Walkman to these uh, pins, and he's trying to count how many pins get knocked down each right. time. Because it's funny because they never show him bowling one time the whole movie. No, he never actually throws a rock ever, but the others do. Yeah. But he doesn't. Yeah. And Walter, you see him wind up and you you hear the results, but you never physically see, no, see him No, you don't roll. see that. Yeah, that's true, too. So that yeah. might have been. Well, I thought when, like with the first dream sequence, he at least saw Maude because she was standing over him, right? Because the guy punched him and Maude was right there. Yeah, that could, that could be. I think that's I the think reason so. why. Yeah, that, that yeah, could yeah. be. So you're right. 
he hadn't met her, but he had like seen a glimpse of her, and I think that yeah. glimpse of her is what kind of made from into that, that angle dream almost. sequence. Yeah, right. So this is about the time that uh, I'd like to show a scene here. Uh oh, you mean play a scene? Because they can't see. You don't need eyes to see, Stu. Okay. We're under the bridge, and we do enter the next round robin. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Am I wrong? You're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. Okay then. Play Quintana and O'Brien next week. They should be pushovers. Man, you just, just take it easy, man. You know that's your answer for everything, dude. And let me point out something. Pacifism is not. Look at our current situation with that camel fucker in Iraq. Pacifism is not something to hide behind. Just take it easy, man. I'm perfectly calm, dude. Yeah, waving the fucking gun around. Calmer than you are. You just take it easy. <laughs> okay. The chemistry. Aside, is... aside from the obvious uh, slips of uh, language, oh, accidental. Yeah. I, I love... absolutely find that to be hilarious because John Goodman pulls off the whole. Oh, I don't, I'm absolutely way calmer than you are. Yeah. And Jeff Bridges is obviously panicking because he... For the first time in, like, the whole movie, he's not calm. No, he's not calm. He's, he's just, very undude-like. Yeah. He yeah. is very You're being undude-like. very undude, man. So one of my favorite parts is when uh, Bunny gets kidnapped and he goes back <laughs> to the Lebowski house, which, for the record, he, he's a really honestly decent guy that he gets a call and he, he goes back. When he doesn't really have to. No, he doesn't. I mean, he's got yeah. the rug. He's got no... He he's, yeah. doesn't really have a... Re- but anyway, so he goes back, and uh, he has that great scene with uh, Jeffrey at the fireplace that's just, like, so Citizen Kane epic. It's almost, like, ripped from one of those black and white... Oh, yeah. Except movies. for the fact that the dude's token it up. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, well... That's a, that's you mind if thing. I do a J? <laughs> yeah, do you mind if I do a J? That's Smoking a some reefers. Reefers in the plural. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what makes a man? Yeah, that instead of testicles. <laughs> I mean, uh, the lines in this movie. We could do a whole podcast oh, just geez. on like the yeah, I mean, greatest seriously. lines of yeah. this film. I mean, yeah, the dude abides. How many? I, I can't even. Even people who've never watched the film, they're just like, dude, you abide. You know, I mean, they twist it a little bit, but still, you yeah. know. No, it's great, and I love, uh, I love uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's role in this Brandt. movie. He's so subdued, but uh, so great. I am he goes so out heartbroken. And... I know. I am so heartbroken. He's great as he like was a one of the most. He, he's he was absolutely... what? He's great as a like a boot slash shoe licker. It's like he oh, knows Mr. Lebowski. Yes, he no, knows Mr. Lebowski. But you, again, you want Mr. Lebowski? When he but... has that scene with Tara Reid, and he just has that like you have to pay him. You have to pay <laughs> all pent up. You have to yeah. pay Brant one hundred dollars to watch the act that I can't name on air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no kidding, right? I mean, it, but <coughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman was such an understated actor, and and he has done so many great things. His role in this particular film doesn't just he. I mean, he doesn't overpower a scene, but you would not have the film without him because he plays such an integral part. I oh mean, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, which is not to get on too much of a P.S. Hoffman tangent, but like. He has his gregarious, like, way larger-than-life roles where he just totally, like, takes the reins. And then he also has roles like this where he's able to, like, sit back and he does what he's supposed to do perfectly. And, like, uh, Jeff Bridges comes out of the room and uh, 
Branch is filling him in, and right when he takes a, a hit of his joint, he's like, you think the carpet pissers did this? <laughs> and Branch's like, well, dude, we just don't know. We just don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, we just don't so, know. so expertly delivered. Yeah, that his, uh, again, yeah, I, I, I'm so, I mean, the talent lost so young. I mean, because he, he was so, comparatively speaking, young, you know, I mean, he just died within the year, and and it's just such a horrible thing. The way he died was so horrible. Yeah. I mean, a drug overdose is such a useless way to die. And 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 I I know that people out there are like, you don't know what he was going through. No, you you're absolutely right. I don't. But guess what? I know that there's always somebody there to help if you want it. If you want it, and. It is such a waste of such great talent. For sure. I mean, case. it was like the Robin Williams thing. I mean, his whatever, oh. whatever burden that he had, it was too great to bear, and and he couldn't bear it anymore. And we can't capacitate. We can't understand. No, and not even close. Not even close. And and it it yeah. I I mean we we could we we could I could go back to Robin Williams time and time again, but it's not gonna it won't solve anything. And and Philip Seymour Hoffman, I would. While he doesn't have the body of work that Robin Williams had or the, I would say, the adoration of the fans the way Robin Williams had, I still feel that his loss resonates very strongly. Yeah. Well, had he had the lifespan that Williams had, he would have because... Oh, geez, You know, the the 18-year-olds have movies that they loved with him, you know. Boogie Nights. The Flutter Generation. Well, well, Robin Williams. Oh, Robin Williams. You know, there'd be like the Flutter Generation. He had decades. Oh, yeah. Decades and decades. Totally, yeah. I mean, going from the small screen and then transforming that stardom into the bigger screen throughout time. I mean, his body of work... um, allowed him to, I guess, have more of a following than Hoffman did, even though I think Hoffman started to generate more and more acclaim later in his career. He was such a brilliantly understated actor. Brilliantly understated. He could light up the screen or be there and add to the scene without anyone really realizing how much it was that he was adding. And, And that, in turn, is what made him so good and and oh just i you know one of his quote unquote best and worst films if you were is twister mm-hmm. he played this kind of off the wall kind of loopy guy in this universally panned movie and yet it is one of my favorite roles that he played yeah. i mean he was absolutely wonderful in that and and it was just a fun carefree no mental stress movie at all and yet he that kind of showed the range that he had when he comes back and does something like capote yeah i mean i, I mean I, I think part seriously. of the reason it's so sad is because he was just gaining steam i mean he was oh, just, geez, yeah. he was uh, he was appreciated you know uh from like punch drunk love pretty early on but I mean, he was just gaining steam. He was just broadening his palate. He was just starting to... Well, he was uber creepy in Boogie Nights. I mean, if oh, you yeah. remember him from that, I mean, Almost that Famous was... is my favorite movie that he was in. Oh, I, I, there, there's so many great things that he did. Yeah. And yet, yeah, and again, another light snuffed out too soon. And, you know, we're, then we're left with, with you know, beast actresses like Tara Reid. 
I mean, I'm I, I can be, but Sharknado, but oh, well, I mean, by far. If you look at what she did with this film, she didn't really do much. It, <laughs> to be honest, it played to her strengths, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She laid there in a bikini and had her toes painted, and she drove down the the road in a convertible sports car with all ten while singing toes. Viva Las with Vegas. all spoiler ten toes. alert, yeah, with all ten toes. So uh, the, also, this last time that I watched it, or one of the last times that I watched it, when the drop. Is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie when they make the drop, when they with throw the, the dirty underwear, dirty out there. <laughs> and so the first couple times that I watched this movie, I didn't realize that Walter owned that security shack oh, yeah. that he's outside. Oh yeah, of. and so it has like sells, you know, money orders, right. security checks, and peace of mind, and it like jogged my memory. And and Barton Fink, um, at one point, John Goodman tells Barton uh, that he sells peace of mind oh yeah so that's oh, yeah. like another little like inside joke to the coen brothers the whole movie is you know what's well, a nod to themselves in a lot of ways you're absolutely oh yeah it's, right. it's, a, it's a caricature of, of but you know and, and also with the uh from the film noir status a lot of film noir movies will unravel this plot and then they'll solve the plot but then in the end it turns out that like nothing really meant anything there's like uh this feeling of hopelessness and despair, and then they, like, uncover all these other problems, and then the movie's over. And that's kind of, you know, in the end, none of it really means anything. I Absolutely mean, things have not. been done, but... I think that's why when this movie came out, people didn't immediately get it, because... They weren't the plot, embracing it, yeah. Yeah, because a lot of people, when they go to see a movie, they're so wrapped up in the plot that if the plot doesn't really amount to much, they're like, well, why did I, why did I in quotations, waste this time? Well... That's the whole point of the movie is that some things are absolutely pointless. It's it's kind of like the uh, Seinfeld theory. I mean, yes, you can draw themes out of The Big Lebowski. I mean, when you look at the movie theories that are out there, people go more in-depth about The Big Lebowski than some other, you know, supposedly deep smash hit films. Yeah. So there's a lot to draw from there. I mean, I've read some theories just like, well, I can I can see that, but viewing the the film with my own personal lens... To me, it's almost like an existential tale where it's so absurdist because the dude just wants his rug and he has I to know. go through all these suits. <laughs> he, he just, just keeps saying, I want my rug, I want my rug. And people are like, no, you need to drop off this money here and then you need to, you need to have this mobile phone with you, this old school mobile phone, like almost like a car phone with <laughs> yeah, you. And it's yeah, just yeah. Like, the police come and interview him and this phone's ringing and ringing and ringing and he's carrying it around. It's just like that's to me uh, the whole point of the film is sometimes you want something very, very simple and you have to jump through 18 million rings that are on fire just to get the one simple thing that yeah. you want, even though other people have other intentions for you. He's got a lot of side quests. <laughs> yeah. That's absolutely hilarious that all he is after is his rug because it ties the room together. Yeah. It, it, it No other reason. It's not a particularly beautiful rug. It's not a particularly <laughs> expensive rug. No, no, no. It ties the room together. And also, by the way, uh, Jesus is in this film. Uh, yes. Oh, my. <laughs> that just... Jesus can... is in the film. Uh, John Turturro's portrayal of Jesus is absolutely brilliant. I know. what Jimmy, Jimmy was speaking. if you haven't uh, seen Jimmy was Cohen speaking Brothers earlier films. about G these minor characters just showing up and just... It's like lightning. They're so electric. And Jesus is one of... You, 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 
you're introduced to him and he's wearing almost like a purple <laughs> a jumpsuit, jumpsuit and he yeah, has a I hair mean, net like, and he's yeah. bowling. It's just they're playing this mariachi music. You're like, who is this guy? No, no, well, he's Jesus. he's yeah. a pederast. Yeah, oh, yeah, truly. Yeah. Yeah. Eight-year-olds, dude. Yeah, totally into him. So I guess uh, I guess Peter Exline is another friend of the Coen brothers who was another inspiration for Walter who at one point before the Coen brothers started making movies, uh, he had a rug stolen and he was complaining about his rug stolen and he said it really tied the room together. And so he uh, tracked the dude who he thought took his rug and it was this high school senior. And so he went to this guy's house and he that's when he coined the phrase – this is what happens when you, you know what, a stranger in the you know what. You're right. Isn't the yeah. Simpsons version about something in the Alps? Yes. In the in the FX version, it says, <laughs> you see what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. <laughs> I mean, that could be, if you, if you take the phrase in, in that context, that could be pretty frightening if you find a stranger in the Alps. Because uh, who is that stranger? I mean, is yeah. he alive? Is he not alive? Is he undead? Is he a golfer? Is he a Yeti? I mean, seriously. I mean... My, you know, it. Okay, so back to Jeff Bridges. I want to talk about Jeff Bridges a little bit and the, the work that he's done. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I have loved him since the first time I saw him. I thought he was absolutely wonderful. What was the and first my, thing you saw him in? The first thing I saw Jeff Bridges in was the remake of King Kong in 1976. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. The Diane Lane. Uh, you know. Uh, it, it, I mean, it was absolutely one or Je, not Diane Lane, Jessica Lang. Excuse yeah, yeah, me, yeah. Jessica Lang. Uh, Diane Lane is somebody completely different who I also have a little bit of a thing for. But Charles Grodin, Jeff Bridges, Jessica great. Lang. He snuck on the boat. I remember that. That was the first it thing was, I saw. Him that in. was the first movie I saw him in, and truly identified with his character of Jack and and how he was there as only as a person, and and you could. Even in that character, you can see the dude. The dude is there. Yeah. The dude the dude has been there all along. He was Jack in the Fisher King as well. And then he was there again in Tron in the character of Flynn. No doubt about it. He has been the dude all along. And in Flynn, oh, he he embodied the idea of what the dude was without the drugs. The drug was the video game in this case. Yeah. And that whole thing was just one gigantic trip. And and I sat down in the very front row of the movie theater and watched Tron the original Tron for the first time and got so motion sick when that first sequence when they're spiraling down into the computer world and it was one of those situations where I didn't understand what was happening to me and why because I was so young because Tron was in 1982 I was only 11 years old and and I'm sitting there going and I didn't know why I was dry heaving at what was going on in the screen but I was transfixed by what was happening. I could yeah. not look away. I couldn't. And it was brilliant. And Jeff Bridges has never failed to deliver on his major film, major films. I'm going to preface that by saying his major films that he's performed in, he's never failed to perform to absolute wonderful standards. And, yeah. and again, his 
his persona, while it may change from film to film, you get a sense of this character, the dude, even in one of his more recent ones when he played Rooster Cogburn in the remake of oh, True absolutely. Grit. The dude is there. Yeah. The dude is completely there. You know, know that the, I, the dude is a real person. I, Jeff I Dowd. Yeah. Well, I, I get that. But still, again, I think that Jeff Bridges, in this case, he embodies in everything that he's ever done a little bit of this personality. Well, look at his uh, his recent music project. It's kind of like oh, it's wonderful. sleep oh, tapes and music. Sounds? Dream, oh, dream sounds. Dream sounds. Oh, my God. Well, he listens to stuff like that as the dude in character, which is... One of those stranger-than-fiction, awesome real-life moments, too. Well, at this point, I don't know if he is in character as a dude or if, like, this no, no, is just... I think, no, this is him. That's yeah. him making okay, music. He, you know, one of the He's things that's really, and he did it's all for really interesting, too, I've cool. listened to several different interviews with him, and primarily it's been on the Nerd, Nerdist with Chris Hardwick. Um, you, you got to go back. If you like Jeff Bridges and if you're just a nerd fan, go to the Nerdist. But... It's unbelievable. The interviews that Hardwick and Bridges have had have been absolutely phenomenally funny, revealing, and and truly some of the most interesting listening that I've ever had on any podcast ever. Bridges is just one of those guys who walks in and just his personality fills the room. Mm-hmm. You can feel it through the through where the speakers. Number one and number two. He is one of the most likable celebrities you will ever listen to ever because he seems so genuine and real. I mean, he grew up in Hollywood. He came from Hollywood star – I mean, stardom. Yeah. I mean, his father, I mean, his brother, everybody – I mean, he comes from a true Hollywood legacy. And but you don't you don't get that vibe from him. You yeah. get you get a vibe of somebody who's truly cool and laid back and just eh, the dude, if you will. And and I love that. I love the fact that from this particular film, he's you know maybe he's embraced it a little more after this film. Mm-hmm. Even sublime, most equal. You know, Philip Seymour Hoffman and those that were, you know, even younger than him have gone sooner. But he lives a life that you got to you got to imagine that he's going to be 104 or 114 before he goes. Yeah, because he's so centered. He's so even, at least in his the perception of his personality. Oh, for sure. Regardless of what his actual personality is. Well, and I think that's another reason why this movie is received the way that it is, is because. You know, 15 years before he played the dude, he was the dude. And this movie was not based on Jeff Bridges' legacy. It was based on this other guy named Jeff Dowd, who we'll get to that in a minute. But, like, when Jeff Bridges was in The Fisher King, which we've done before right. by Terry Gilliam. Gilliam, we'll never know. Gilliam. Gilliam. Or Gilliam, we'll never know. R.G. Gilliam. Or Gilliam, we'll never know. Gilliam. Yeah, we'll never know. It's Gilliam. There's a good – so there's a handful of clothing mm. that Jeff Bridges wears in that film that he wears in The Big Lebowski, and uh, a lot of The Big Lebowski wardrobe was just his own clothes. He's like, hell, I can just bring in my own stuff. And his like clear plastic sandals with the back on them, I guess he just sold at an auction for charity, the ones that he actually wore in The right. Big Lebowski. And you can 
get them at Payless for sure. seven ninety five, yeah. and they sold for like seven hundred thousand some dollars. Oh, you're kidding me! Seven hundred thousand dollars. The one that he's that one that he that wore he's in actually Big wearing in the Big Lebowski. Yes, seven hundred and and Fisher King. Somebody has wow. lots of money to spend. They got a lot things, of money to just drop. Well, that's yeah. what's interesting about this movie is like you know what we were talking about before. Some people like it for a superficial comedy about bowling. That's fine. Some people will read. But it's not about bowling. It, it's it not really about isn't. anything. It really, really isn't. Yeah. You, you only the only character you see bowling really is uh, Jesus. Jesus, some no yeah. names Donnie who always rolls yeah. a strike except for his last one. Right. Which, you know, whatever. It's that's telling of what's going to happen to him yes. at that point. Full it's very shattering. prophetic. It's very prophetic. Yeah. Market eight. I, I wondered why this movie has uh, resonated so much. Has resonated so well, but across the board, it's not just one like class of people or like one like oh everybody. If you like comedies, you'll love this movie. But I know people that love Big Lebowski that hate comedies. I mean, comedies for me are very hit and miss because you know it's easy to film an action sequence. It's easy to film what you would call a horror movie. It might not be scary, but it's easy to make one. But if you make a comedy and I don't laugh, you had one job to do and you didn't do it. All you have to do is make me laugh right. for it to be a comedy. So, you know, with uh, romance, with romantic comedies, like, there's a very formulaic, there's a very defined recipe that has been constructed a, over the years. B, exactly. C, Which some right. comedies also use. Oh, for just sure. comedies in general, not just uh, the ones that are romantic in nature. It's just like, oh, hey, look, more uh, fat guys farting. Oh, look at that. We're making fun of everybody. And oh, look at this and that. It's just like, oh, hey, there's another scary movie. Yeah, they're coming out with their ninth one. Oh, great. Yeah, right. and, and exactly. Like, for some reason, the, the American Pies and the scary movie, I like farts as much as the next person. I Amen. love Naked Gun movies. Absolutely. I, I do like some parody films. I like the Hot Shot films. But with American with American Pie and with the scary movies, I watch them, and I, like, I didn't even breathe a little extra out of my nose how sometimes you're like, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know. Not even a um, little hint no. of a chuckle. But the laugh out loud, no, the laugh out loud aspect of a comedy is overrated, I believe. Yeah, you very, very, very infrequently get that total belly laugh from a comedy because that's hard to do. A comedian in a co- in, in like an actual stand up thing, sure you do because they're they're aimed at that. Mm-hmm. But there are very few films that I feel, and 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 this is from my personal experience, there are very few films where I've sat back and just laughed until I've about peed myself. But I mean, it's, it's with comedies that are so personal. Nobody can watch a comedy and say, no, that movie wasn't funny. That's not fair. That movie wasn't funny to you. But only with comedy, because you can't watch The Matrix and say, nope, that movie wasn't action-y. That's not really up no, to opinion, that's, no, that's and you can't watch The true. Notebook and say, nope, that wasn't a love story. Right. But again, it comes back to comedy is is what makes you laugh, not what the crowd thinks is comedy. It Comedy is subjective. Comedy mm-hmm. is absolutely 100% what makes you laugh, not what everybody else thinks. And, you know, some people watch, you know, a movie like Spinal Tap and laugh – outrageously at the antics but most people now will watch it and go okay it was amusing but, but where's I've seen the a funny? lot of movies like this right exactly and... i've seen a lot like it and it's not that funny but it's visceral gut humor it's not intellectual there's very i mean and some people would argue with me yes it's on a higher intellectual level yeah okay whatever still hilarious 
This particular film, The Big Lebowski, was it a gut-busting, hilarious film? No, absolutely not. Is it still a comedy? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a comedy that is an intellectual comedy that you have to actually think about as you're watching just a smidge, but you you just kind of go along with the ride of the dude, and, and wherever he goes, you go, and you have to just enjoy it. And I'm going to say this, and you, if you happen to be imbibing something while you're watching the dude, you're probably going to enjoy it a little bit more. Yeah, like it for your own reasons. Absolutely. It's not like a, like an arrogant kind of comedy. Like no. I remember when Sideways came out, and everybody was like, oh, you don't like wine? <laughs> well, don't watch Sideways. No. You won't find it funny. Like, I, I don't, I don't, really wanna, funny. I don't yeah. want to have to like a specific you know, thing that I can ingest just to enjoy that movie because of its subject matter. I mean, you can like, watch like a Cheech and Chong movie and not even smoke. You can watch Cheech, a Cheech and yeah. Chong movie and find it hilarious and not even and uh, never smoke. never even pick up a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a joint. Exactly. Ever, right. It shouldn't be like that narrow that it's just like, oh, you don't like wine? Well, you're not going to like that movie no, because no, they have no. a 15 minute monologue about wine and it's so hilarious. Yeah. Well, actually, I haven't I'd, seen Sideways, so I can't really say if I, I actually like Sideways. It was so, actually a really good movie. It was movie. an Academy Award winner, wasn't it? I, I think it was. I don't remember, but it was actually very funny. But not, nonetheless, your point is well taken, Jimmy, because comedy and is one of the few things that I think that it is truly in the eye of the beholder or the ear of the beholder. Yeah. The perception of what makes you laugh makes you laugh not what actually what other people believe is going to make you laugh it's like trying to tell a joke to somebody you that you heard that absolutely made you wet your pants yeah you try and recreate that moment for that person it falls flat 99 percent of the time why because it's the situation that you were in it's how it was told originally and who was telling the joke mm -hmm. always and that person may not have been even been funny, but it was, again, the situation, the time, and who. There's a lot of elements about this film that a lot of it I didn't discover on my own, but it's one of those movies that there's so much there that you start talking about this movie with somebody and you start collaborating and you either they say something that jogs your memory or you say something that jogs your own memory, but it's like, oh, my God, that was so funny. I didn't – it's one of the very few comedies in my, in my life, like, hold up that I watch again and again and again, and they still make me laugh. Like, I, you were talking about Cheech and Chong. I, Rolling Stone uh, hailed Big Lebowski as their number one stoner comedy of all time. I can get that, too, just because yeah. it's it's a little bit understated. They're not begging for laughs. Like, the dude dressed as a cable guy slash repairman dancing down steps like a uh, really awkward Fred Astaire of some it sort. It really was. Like, yeah. to me, like... To me, that kind of comedy is much more hilarious than it's just like, oh, this guy slipped on a banana peel. And well, it's still it's still that same, car, you know, Marx Brothers kind of physical yeah. humor. It's so just it's... a little more understated. How funny was the landlord? Oh yeah, with his it's you know what I like the hey, I dude, like it's the... I like how they used him as almost um, a tragic Greek interlude because of the way he's dressed. He has like those vines on him. It's almost like yes, yeah. I don't even know what you would call him. Is he supposed to be? He's uh, like a one-man equivalent dance. An equivalent to a pixie or a fairy dance thing. It's just absolutely <laughs> with the dramatic ridiculous. music playing. Chair, and, but oh that was the inspiration God. for the dream sequence with the crazy men. Oh, the I scissors. know, I know. Yeah, absolutely. But still, he is so ridiculous. And, and 
I just every time I think about that particular character, I'm like, you gotta be kidding. And he me, comes really? out of nowhere too because the dude walks outside and he's like talking to the dude, hey, uh, I'm gonna have my thing, you know, uh, you're gonna <laughs> be there, right? And he's like, you can. This guy's just like reeking of desperation. You feel so Truly bad for him. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh wait, he's your landlord. Okay, all right, all right. Before we go further, I have one other character I want to talk about, and, okay. and, and one other actress in particular, and that's Julianne Moore. Oh, God. killed it. Talk about, about yeah, her she did just a little bit, yeah, because she is one of the. I I firmly believe she is underrated as far as how totally sexy she is. She, I mean, oh, she is so fine. And and honestly, I think that in this, she was so hysterical. Like she's well. so. I'm assuming that she is from the United States, possibly California, but she has like a faux British accent. Like oh, I she's know. So she's so like this this um, pretentious artist type. But then you end up liking her anyway. Yeah. She's, she's like, from yeah. North Carolina. Yeah, originally. she's like she's like yeah. My my dad's pretty much a insert expletive here, and he really doesn't have any money. And it's just like wow, she's this pretentious artist, but she actually is one of the realist characters. Oh, oh yeah. Nihilist character. Yeah, she's she, a nihilist. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. she's like, oh yeah, I'm just um I'm just getting pregnant because but we don't have to we don't have to, you know, see each other. Actually I'm I'm trying to get pregnant by somebody I'm not gonna see socially, so thank you very much for your sperm, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it. She's so like French Yoko Uno. She oh, doesn't even know who she, she is. She truly anymore. is. Yes. She really is in that it's instance. It's like one of those yeah. people you might talk to them and they might go on and on and on in a conversation. We're like, wait, where did we start? Because this bounced nine different ways in five minutes. Could you tell me what you're talking about right yeah. now? <laughs> and, oh, it's all and, about it's all about postmodernism, man. You have to live here's the box and here's me outside it. Yeah, but the yeah, question yeah, is, yeah. is there really a box, box and is there really a me? Oh yeah. And you're just like and, check yeah. Check, check please. please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Without her there wouldn't be the uh the crazy guy sitting there with the telephone laughing and listening. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. And all of her and super it was, creepy cronies. It was her oh, vinyl geez, collection yeah. that contained the, the Autobahn. Autobahn, yeah. The yeah, Autobahn yeah. album. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so she like I think she's kind of the glue because she knows all the different players in Truly, the story yeah, intimately. Yep. So she's kind of she doesn't get much screen time, but without no. her you don't get a lot of the plot. True. Yeah, that's she's, very she's true. The, she's the uh, character glue, if you will. I don't think that's a thing, but it I'm, is now. It is now. It is I'm now. Say character you just Elma's. Clu- character How about character glue? Elma's? Oh, yeah. So uh, my rationale for picking your next episode was a movie show theater doesn't have enough roundhouse kicks or nunchucks, so it's mm. definitely Enter the Dragon. All right. Well, Ben, is there anything else you'd like to add about I, Big Lebowski? I really don't think there is. You know, I think we've, we've pretty much said it all uh, a lot of people i think when this came out got wrapped up in following the plot and didn't realize that the plot's secondary to the, the characters. characters and their development and their hilarious goings on and i i don't believe that the dude's supposed to represent buddha i read that one I was just no like, no yeah, no he's 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 not i don't think the buddha would drink white russians or anything really or impregnate Maud Lebowski. He might. He, I mean, he might in his next life. Maybe he's like, yeah, this whole Nirvana, Nirvana thing's cool, but I think maybe being the dude is a little bit cooler. So maybe yeah, I will I'm be. I'm pretty the dude. sure he's sterile. No, by I, now. I think <laughs> that I think that Jeff, you know, Lebowski or the big Lebowski or, or you know, the dude truly embodied. I think something that is truly in him. I don't think he had to act much. I I think that he just showed up and was himself. 
and just kind of played the lines as were given to him, and he had the best time, and I think that comes across on the screen, and I think that I think that's what people are are really truly attracted to more than anything else. It's that it's, it looks like an honest character played by an honest person who's truly not really trying to do anything. He's just being. And that is so much fun to watch when you are watching. And, and, and this is one of the gifts that Jeff Bridges has. In any character that he plays, even if you're talking about uh, what's the guy from Iron Man, Downey? Yeah, no, no. I'm the character he plays in Iron Man. Oh, Stark. Not no, Robert Jeff Bridges. In Jeff Iron Bridges Man. is in oh, Iron okay. Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Isaiah or uh, uh, Josiah Stone or something. I can't remember. Yeah, his full I can't name. remember his name. But even that character was a very hardcore, very rigid, very corporate-minded stern. character. Very stern. There was still a little dude there at mm-hmm. times, and and. It was the and, and I thought that was just brilliant, and I think that that's what Jeff Bridges brings to his characters and to his acting, and I can't wait to see what he does next. Anyway, um, no, yeah, I I also love this movie. I think that it's pr- it's pretty uh, incredible that he was the dude long before the Big Lebowski, and the character that we didn't get uh, too much of a chance to talk about, a friend of the Coen brothers named Jeff Dowd, uh, who refers to himself as the dude. Um, that's how where this whole movie kind of revolves around. But I can't imagine this movie having the reception if it was cast with anybody else other than Jeff Bridges. And Stewart's completely right. He's the dude. I mean, he, you know, before every scene, he would uh, ask uh, Joel Cohen if the dude burned one on the way over. And if Joel said yes, then he would rub his eyes with his fist and he would get his eyes all red. You know, he got into it, but not in a incredibly intensive way. It was just, well, you know, it's did the dude burn one? It's kind of incredible. But yeah, love the movie. Which, yeah. by the way, ten, you said early 90s. It's funny. He does write a check 10 years to the day of the 9-11 attacks, and you see George Bush, you know, uh, saying this aggression will not stand, which he later uh, repeats. The dude, he yeah. basically just repeats things that are said to him, yeah, which is Without funny. a doubt, yeah. Well, before we leave, you can get tickets for the midnight matinee at movieshowtheater.com slash events. You can get a hold of us at the Facebook page for Movie Show Theater and or also the WAZU 90.7 Facebook page. And you can uh, send us a suggestion of some movie you want us to do. If there's something we're doing wrong, let us know. Um, and thanks for everybody that's uh, right. been – Yeah, or right. We, we like positive feedback. Absolutely. Um, Gold stars and banana yeah. stickers. And so, so thanks all of you guys for uh, supporting us and listening to us for uh, almost a year now. So anyway, until next Tuesday, I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Stuart Randolph. I'm Ben Snowden. And this is Movie Show Theater Man. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition my condition was in. I woke up this morning with the sun down. Shining in here. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then I tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind on a jagged sky. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Yeah, yeah.
condition, my condition, my condition. 